0: Like, why, yeah, why do they uh, say that you know, characteristic is effeminate or a, a feminine characteristic if, if it's a man that's doing it?
1: I think c- certainly there's some element of stereotypes, and I know that's maybe a superficial response to that. Um, sometimes it comes out of insecurity. I, I know for me personally, I'm a, a very sensitive person. I- I've always been that way. As a kid, I literally remember when we'd be putting dishes away, if there was like one spoon in the uh, utensil, you know, the, the rack, And there was another one, I would go and grab a clean spoon because I was concerned that that spoon would be lonely in there. And I'd put a second one in. So it just had a friend. So, like, that's a level of sensitivity that I had as a kid. Right. But, you know, growing up with that sense, like, I always felt like that was a liability. There was a sense that, you know, men really aren't that sensitive. And and so somehow I felt ashamed of, of having that quality, that that was maybe more of a kind of feminine quality.
0: Welcome to Authentic Conversations. I'm your host, Ryan James Miller, and I believe the way to freedom, fulfillment, and success ultimately comes by living as the most authentic version of yourself. If you're ready to live the life you've dreamed of, you're in the right place. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. We are just hitting it again. Thank you guys so much. You have been giving such amazing response back, particularly to this season of the podcast, us really honing in on manhood and masculinity and some of the amazing conversations that we have had. They have been themed very similarly by accident, I mean, kind of, uh, but at the same time, just different opinions and perspectives. And so it's just been wonderful. So thank you guys for that feedback. We're going to continue striving to do the best that we can to find the right people to come on and have these conversations. And today I get to do that. So you're looking at, if you're watching this, or you're going to hear in just a minute from Dr. Andy Garrett. Andy is a licensed psychologist, but also he does a tremendous amount of identity work. And that really is this idea of helping people to understand who they are at the core and then helping them to then leverage that to become the people that they've been created to be. And you know, that language is so near and dear to my heart. Cause I say it all the time. I met Andy through a mastermind group. Uh, iron sharpens iron is how we were connected. Uh, and it's just been a, a wonderful relationship that I've been able to build with him. I respect him so much. So you get the fortune of listening to him today. I'm stoked to listen to him too. And so Andy, welcome, man. Thank you so much.
1: Awesome, man. So, so excited to be here. And I know the feeling of respect uh, is, is a mutual. Uh, this is, I think, an extension of some really, uh, intriguing, compelling conversations. I feel like we've had before. So excited to be here. And love yeah, the idea I mean, of being accidentally on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you were cool. saying earlier. Yeah,
0: I, I think it's so great because. Um, I, I remember when you and I were first introduced through our mutual friend Paul, and um we went and we met and we had lunch together. And that was the first time we had ever had a conversation. And it was just such an instant connection. And we come from different backgrounds. We've got some of the same crazy in our in our in our history and our story, but just different backgrounds. And we do have some different perspective, but there's just such alignment. And that's what I love so much. Um it's just, You have that DR in front of your name, so that just makes you a whole lot smarter than I am. And so I'll default to you when it comes to anything having to do with psychology, particularly. Um, Okay, so um, we've talked about this before. Everybody knows what's coming right out of the gate. But when I say manhood and masculinity, like, how do you define that and what comes to mind for you? And I guess particularly as it relates to the day and age that we live in.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating question, right? Um, I was rereading through some of uh, Wild at Heart and mm. that book just hit me right square in, in the heart when I first read it and had a major impact on me. Um, but I r- recognize now, like, I, I don't know that there is a universal sense of what it means to be a man. I think there's a general framework of understanding, uh, you know, what what the Bible says and then how do we apply that psychologically? But I've known a lot of men that I think, kind of meet still the definition of how, uh, in a second, I'll explain masculinity, but they do it in wildly different ways, right? There's a lot of room for uniqueness, for individual expression. I know men that are probably a little more uh, effeminate in some ways, but they are deeply devoted fathers, right? They are deeply committed to raising their kids and and just passionate about being responsible and meeting the challenges in their life, leading their businesses with integrity and, and purpose and character. And I know men that are extremely like alpha, you know, very aggressive that are amazing leaders. Right. And so I just see a, a, a very big spectrum. I think growing up, I had a certain idea, right, of, of what it meant to be a man. And I think it, some of that has been healthy. Some of that really made me feel inadequate and insecure. And so I think coming to a healthy place, all that leading to, I love it in, in a book that I read, Silence of Adam, it, it goes through and it talks about. Uh, masculinity defined in the Book of Genesis it uses the word Zakar. Zakar means uh, he who remembers. So there's a connotation that we're supposed to remember something important, right? And it's not just the the grocery list or you know the uh, our, our our wife's anniversary, although that certainly is something <laughs> I, I recommend for men to to remember. Um, but it means that we remember who we are and we remember who God is, right? And those two things provide the foundation. When we know those things and we feel secure in those things and our sense of identity is anchored in that, then we feel equipped to meet the the challenges in our life, to respond to chaos and uncertainty in the world. We feel anchored to the the few things that are so uh, essential, right? We have these convictions about what God has authored inside of us that allows us then to meet that uncertainty, rise above it, right? To restore order to chaos and to bring in. So ideally when a man enters into a, 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 a challenge, right? One of my family's going through something difficult, I hope that I'm not adding more confusion, uncertainty, and chaos. I hope when I come that my wife and my kids, they know dad's here, right? He's going to help bring order to this. We know we're in safe territory now. We know that dad's equipped. He's not going to run from this. He's not going to avoid it. He's not going to be insecure and start to, you know, blame others. And so, you know, having that sense, that same book goes on later to define that the difference between a man and a boy said that a boy has not yet had the life experience, right? And even we know from a a, a kind of brain perspective that their prefrontal cortex doesn't really stop, you know, get fully developed until they're in their mid twenties. And so a lot of their decisions are rooted in a sense of, you know, immediate gratification of just, Mm -hmm. you know, making very selfish decisions that they don't feel equipped because they don't know fully who they are. They don't feel equipped to meet chaos and uncertainty and fear and challenges and to be able to respond in a way Right, where they are able to bring order, to bring peace, to bring clarity and a a sense of purpose and how they respond to that, whereas a man does. And so, Mm. but I see a lot of men that I work with who are very successful, right? They are amazing at the technical aspects of their job, but they leave a wake of damage everywhere they go, right? There's a sense of them creating, people feel disoriented in their presence. Mm. They feel confused because they say one thing and then their actions do something completely different. They say that their family is the most important thing in the world to them but yet they spend the bulk of their time and their best energy at work, right? And when they do actually interact with their wife and kids, they often are very short. Uh, their temper is very quick. And so you see that sense of them actually increasing the amount of uncertainty and chaos in the world. And I think so that there's a, a clear distinction, right? The idea of masculinity is I'm presenting it. There's a deep security in understanding what's been authored inside of you, knowing who you are and trusting in who God is and knowing that when you have those two things clear, you feel well-equipped to meet the challenges in your marriage in your life in your business and do so with great clarity and a sense of composure. Yeah, Does that make sense? No,
0: no I, I I, really, I, I like that so much because again, I think it requires us first and foremost to look back on something or somebody else. Um, and, and, and even scripturally, it, it, it is difficult. I mean, I've read plenty of books uh, that speak to biblical manhood, and there's a lot of, I want to be really careful when I say this, but there's a lot of gray. It's not just God said that yeah. a man is, God said a woman is, you know, it, it's like there, it, it, there's some challenge there, but I like that we're looking ultimately back to God and how God first created man and how we see man created all throughout scripture and the characteristics then that they, that they demonstrate that they hold to. So I think that that stuff is so important. I also like the fact that you talk about, you know, from the very beginning, I always struggle with, um, when somebody will say, well, that guy is just kind of more feminine and I understand. And probably again, clinically you can, you can better speak to this, but I understand what people are saying, but it's like, just because a guy is not this rough, gruff, whatever, doesn't make him more womanly. He just has characteristics that are different from the rough, gruff man. So when uh, I'm gonna ask you this because again, I think as a doctor, I think this is really important. But like when 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 somebody assigns a feminine characteristic to a man, right, why has it always been done that way? Like why yeah, why do they uh, say that you know, characteristic is effeminate or a feminine characteristic if if it's a man that's doing it?
1: I think c- certainly there's some element of stereotypes, and I know that's maybe a superficial response to that. Um, sometimes it comes out of insecurity. I, I know for me personally, I'm a, a very sensitive person. I've always been that way. As a kid, I literally remember when we'd be putting dishes away. If there was like one spoon in the uh, utensil, you know, the the rack, and there was another one, I would go and grab a clean spoon because I was concerned that that spoon would be lonely in there, and I'd put a second one in so it just had a friend. So, like, that's a level of sensitivity that I had as a kid, right? But you know, growing up with that sense, like I always felt like that was a liability. There was a sense that, you know, men really aren't that sensitive. And and so somehow I felt ashamed of of having that quality, that that was maybe more of a kind of feminine quality. Um, And it's really only been in adulthood. I have have a daughter who's extremely hypersensitive and I realized I need to address and come to terms with this. Because if I don't, then I'm going to project onto my daughter the same things that I took on as a kid and see this as a liability. I now see that same characteristic as one of my superpowers. Right, I think the fact that I'm able to have a, a level of sensitivity, it allows me to have conversations with men that I think are atypical. Right, that I, I go deeper, I go into a, a level of uh, talking about emotions that I, I think a lot of men aren't either usually comfortable or they just don't typically do. But it's very liberating. Right, I've, I've had I've had some clients that I've worked with who um, very alpha type males. Right, they're CEOs of large companies. And as we start to get into this work, they will sometimes actually, I mean, I've I've been threatened a few times, like if, if you do anything that messes with my success, right? Like I I will, I will come, come back and get you that type of thing. Um, And I've asked them just to trust me, but it's amazing as they go through the work and they start to feel more whole, right? They start to operate from a place of feeling really secure in who they are instead of being driven by a bunch of insecurities, right? Mm. They're, they're almost like overcompensating for insecurities Uh, but it's also leading to a bunch of damaged decisions they're making in certain areas of their life. But as they've become more secure in who they are, they have started to accept and feel more comfortable in expressing their feelings and having feelings. So I've had those same people say, well, I thought I was a great leader at my business. The reality is, is that people followed me because of my title. You know, they weren't necessarily following me because I was invested in them. I wasn't truly caring about them, taking the time Mm -hmm. to get to know them and understand what makes them who they are. And so as they become more in touch with their feelings, they're happier, right? Their relationships get better, their marriage improves. And so there's a sense that uh, I think when we start to break through some of these stereotypes, when we start to understand that really there's kind of a balance, right? There's some things that I have that are really, I think, stereotypical masculine, masculine. uh, And there's some things about me that, you know, kind of incorporate things that are maybe stereotypical feminine, but all together, it creates a, a sense of integrity, a wholeness of who I am. Yeah. And when I learn how to accept and embrace those, I become the fullness of who God created me to be. Is that?
0: Yeah. No. I, I that think that, I, I think that's fantastic, and, and I think that. In, in today's day and age, and actually I, I do want to talk about kind of how you got here, but um, in today's day and age, we're seeing this confusion over gender and uh, gender identity, right? And it's like a man can yep. be whatever he wants, a woman can be whatever he wants. And it's like, I don't want to speak to that at all. I don't believe that. I know you would, you would agree with me, but, yep. but where I do think that we have let men down or us as men have been let down is that we have characterized certain feelings as feminine versus masculine, because to your point, yeah. um, you know, we all, I don't care the toughest, strongest Jocko Willink, maybe like he's one of those dudes. The guy cries. Yeah. I'm sure the guy cries and I'm sure yeah. there's times that he feels sad and lonely and not just because he was on the battlefield by himself, but like, there's just those moments. The danger is, is if he or anybody else experienced those emotions as a man is not equipped to deal with those emotions, which most of us have not yeah. been because we're told that those are those are girly. Um, yeah. then not only do we compartmentalize those, But then we turn and we react with what is our natural kind of response as a man, which is anger, rage, damage, destruction, which is kind of what you're speaking to. And so it's like, we need to figure out a better way. And again, this is a dangerous time to be reclassifying um, (laughs) definitions, but it's like, if we don't find a better way to speak to, I think these things We're going to continue to see men that are destroying themselves and destroying other people because they don't want to be seen as effeminate, right?
1: And that's powerful. And I completely agree. I think there's a a lot, you know, there's a certainly a war going on, on even how we claim identity, like where does Mm -hmm. identity come from, right? And I think the sense of that it comes just purely from our gender is, is, is ri- ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that there aren't some truths around being a man or a woman or any of those things, but ideally your identity gives you a sense of direction, right? It tells you, hey, I know like where I'm heading. It gives you both the sense of who you are, but it's aspirational also in that I want to be more of that. Mm-hmm. And so the more that you're able to define to, to your identity in ways that when I'm more of that, it makes me feel it creates almost a virtuous loop, right? So the more that I am consistent and aligned with who I am, it makes me feel stronger, more whole. It makes me feel more alive and vibrant. Uh, So it makes me want to be more of that. And so it creates this upward kind of cycle where we start to thrive. But if your identity is captured in something that is either, um, you know, it's kind of a fixed characteristic or it's an external, the only way to be more of that is to become more like, so if I'm defined as a man, is to become more manly. Well, well, what does that mean? Right? Like, and, and how do I, how do I achieve that? And if I don't have a strong sense of who that is, then I'm probably going to have a very rigid sense of what it means to be a man. I'm not, I'm right. And I'm going to probably feel uh, one of the, the theories of identity that I think was really good was uh, coined by James Fowler, theologian. And he was looking at a really religious kind of faith identity. But his concept has since been um, used in, in different types of identity, for cultural identity to, to various things. And so he looked at it more as a spectrum from most mature to least mature. And he would say that people who have taken on identity by simply just swallowing beliefs or values, whether it be from their family, whether it be from culture, whether it be from church, but they haven't taken the time to really chew on them, right? And to say, well, do I believe this? And if I do, why do I believe it, right? How do I personalize this? So I feel really confident and secure in what it is that I believe. So instead, they've swallowed it whole. And then the minute that someone doesn't share their belief or questions, why do you do that? But they don't have a strong basis for being able to, to, to defend or, or justify what they do. So they tend to feel really insecure. They feel threatened a lot. And they, that's where you see really dogmatic, uh, judgmental, critical, kind of a rigid um, you know expression of who you are. The idea for Fowler was for people to take the time to start to question, well, what is it that I believe? And why do I believe it? And when you develop a really deep foundation, right, and you have a secure sense of well, I know exactly what I believe, and I know why this is important to me, and I know how I want this to show up in my day to day life. Well, now all of a sudden, I feel really secure in who I am. It allows me to start to feel safe within myself, right? Which allows me then to be more accepting and tolerant of others. Allows me to be more loving. I'm operating from a place of wholeness instead of a place of like self like deprivation or self preservation, right? So I'm operating in a much stronger more secure place, which allows me to be so much more loving towards others. Does that yeah does that make that, sense?
0: That's that is. It's so fantastic. It really is. Well and gosh, I mean we're just so we're so deep. And I know it's because you do so much of this work anyway, but you know, <laughs> we're just so deep into this idea of identity. But you know, I, I think for people this is so helpful for them to hear. And again, especially for for you guys that are listening whether you're dealing with this or you're raising children, I think this is also such an important conversation as we see our kids, because again, today society says, whatever you feel you are. Uh, and so we're kind of raising this generation of kids that, you know, you have a little son and uh, he starts to choose what he wants to do. And maybe he chooses something that's pink. Um, and, you know, all kind of jokes aside, it just now automatically goes to, Oh, He's probably a girl. And so you should really consider just leading him in that direction. And and so we've we've now taken something that was just a preference, an idea, a thought, just the yes. development of children, and turned it into now we are going to assign an identity to them that's in you know that that is yeah. enveloped in gender uh, that is just so dangerous. But it's because we've lost. I think this even goes back. This goes back to even what we we're talking about with scripture. Like we've lost this idea that inherently, first and foremost, male and female is biological, right? And so. So like, that's just so clear. And then from there, we start to see, yes, some natural characteristics, some natural behaviors that come from men versus women and women versus men. But when we just whole lump sum them onto somebody, we yeah. start to confuse gender and identity. And then we're lost. We we have, we have no idea where to go.
1: Yeah. I had a, a good friend who his son at an early age had a preference for purses, right? He just really loved purses and, they tried, they got him trucks and monster trucks and all these <laughs> things, right, to try it. And it just, that's not what he wanted to play with. He he, he really loved uh, purses. That's what he asked for for Christmas, for his birthday. Um, you know, he seemed to you know really enjoy and, and, and feel, and so, you know, a friend was was just trying to figure out how do I navigate this, right? I don't want to mm-hmm. shame my son. I, I, I want to be loving and accepting and, you know, whoever he's going to become. But I also don't want to lump him, you know, this in, like we're making decisions for him that he hasn't really figured out himself. And so Mm -hmm. I encourage him just focus on, you know, his character, focus on helping him, you know, is, when does he feel most by, is it just because he's creative? Is it when he's being, you know, having fun and and being humorous? Is it when he's being uh, kind and generous, whatever those things are, but when you focus on really establishing identity around some of your, your character strengths and then ideally around values. Now as kids, The thing is like the part of the brain that really, you know, starts to formulate your values, that's that prefrontal cortex. So it's not really formed until they're in their twenties. So parents are responsible for essentially being that executive functioning, right? That prefrontal cortex for your kids really up until through their teens and and early adulthood. Uh, You know, you're going to see your kids start to break off and be more independent. You know, I've got a six-year-old son who is very much a contrarian. So I feel like he's already trying to claim his independence but I'm trying to help him to, to, to do it within a structure of a family that he knows what our true north is, right? That there's no confusion and he hears it on a, on a daily basis. He sees that our actions align with it. So I'm trying to remove as much unnecessary uncertainty and ambiguity for my kids as possible. They know exactly how I feel about them. I'm consistent with that, right? That my values are something that I consistently talk about. Um, the, the more that there's a sense of consistency and structure, right? That helps them to know like, Oh, this is the family. These are the decisions we make, These are the stories we tell about our family that align with this sense of right? it helps them to feel more safe. So there's less decisions they need to make throughout the day about what do I make this type of decision or that decision. And so it allows them to be more of whoever God created them to be it allows them the safety and security to start to figure that out more. So that's, that yeah,
0: that's, sense? that's great. And, and I think that again, like that highlights When you spoke earlier and you were really defining these characteristics of what it meant to be a man, particularly as it relates to your family, like that's where this comes out, right? It's, it's less about, I'm going to tell you how to live your life. And more about, I'm going to show you how I've lived my life. And I'm going to point you in the direction that I think is best for you to live yours as well. Like, that's really what a true leader yeah. is, right? I mean, we say in business all the time that the best leaders are ones that influence people to make the decisions that would align with the values of the organization or something like that. But, you know, then yeah. we think that in the home, it's like the best leaders are dictators. <laughs> you know? And it's like, no, 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 <laughs> You know, we need to influence our kids too. Okay. So, um, good. I I know because we've had conversation previous to this, um, that this wasn't always the way you thought about life. Uh, You you had your fair share of challenges and struggles. And so, What was what was kind of the pivotal point for you? I mean, we were even joking about. I remember hearing a story about you know you had some you know really rough uh, moments with alcohol and river, and so it's like you know you you did you weren't always this like clear headed as it related to you know how you thought about life and your own manhood and leadership as a husband and a father. And so, what was it for you that really kind of snapped you? Because I think that there again, there's a lot of men out there that are thinking to themselves like. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think I want to be what I am right now, but I don't really know what to do next. And so, like, how how did you step through that?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's, you know, a couple of pivotal moments. And, and I'll I'll try and the, the one where I hit a bottom and I was about 20 years old. So I mean, I was like just on the cusp of my 21st birthday. So as most people are getting to ramp up their partying, I was like, I think I need to tone it down. Um, you know, I nearly drank myself to death out at the river. Um, you know, I think I, I joked around that at that time, the river was really lawless, right? It was expected that you were going to go out there and just be wild and reckless. And, you know, me and my friends made sure we met those expectations and exceeded them because we wanted to be high achievers there. Um, (laughs) so I came back from that weekend recognizing that like, Hey, I need to surrender because how I'm living my life currently is, uh, is, is bottoming out quickly. Um, I felt morally bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt. Um, I mean, financially, I, I, didn't, I didn't, I'm not even sure if I had a bank account at the time. So mm-hmm. it was really just in a, in a bad place. M- my identity at that point was just kind of wrapped up in whatever I needed to do to be a part of the crew I was in, right? Just mm-hmm. trying to be popular, being this wild party guy. I was known as the one that was, you know, while we partied, you know, kind of wild, I was at next level, which my friends thought was funny until it wasn't, right? Mm-hmm. So I made uh, some changes at that point. One of the people that was really in instrumental in my life, even before this, but someone that really stepped into to kind of that gap in providing, I think a really healthy uh, role model of masculinity was, was my grandfather. So he is, he was a very successful businessman, right? He started Carl's Jr. Um, so Carl Karcher. And despite the fact that he was, you know, a very hard worker, woke up at like four in the morning But you could see, like he talked about his values all the time with his family and faith was first and he woke up every day and spent at least an hour in prayer, right? He went to church with a good Catholic, right? On a six days a week. Um, You know, he went through all this process and and he didn't, despite that, like there wasn't a sense of him, that dictator thing, right? Where he was forcing that, but he lived by example. And so I, I looked at him and there was such... Uh, consistency in who he was. And he seemed so certain and what, you know, was important and what his purpose was that because he was here, like it was one of the few places in my life where I didn't feel like I had to earn, right. I didn't have to perform. I didn't have to like placate his ego. I could just relax into myself and I could start to figure out who that was. Right. And I felt valued just simply by being in his presence. And so that was something that stood out. And I remember, I was like, I want to spend as much time as I can with him. And over the next 10 years, I got a chance to really spend, we, we became best friends and went to hundreds of baseball games with him. And I got to see how he treated my grandma, right? How he always put, whenever he got introduced, he'd always say, this is my lovely bride. I love how he called her, you know, bride, a uh, term of affection. And they were married for over 65 years. Um, you know, I got to see his, his faith. Um, you know, he actually passed away the very last time that I ever got a chance to to, to speak with him. I just uh, got engaged with my wife. And so, you know, here I am getting ready. I, I dated in ways that were wildly inconsistent with who I am. Uh, that same friend who I talked about with the son of the purse, he said, I got this amazing girl I want to introduce you to, but you got to get your act together first. At this point I was in grad school. I'm like working out every day. I'm in great shape. My, my grades are great. I'm like, I got this stuff shit figured out now. Right? Like, and then I realized like, Oh, like, the way I date is a train wreck, right? There's no strategy behind it. There's no sense of values guiding me. And I met Abby and I was like, this is the type of girl that I should have been dating all along and haven't been. Right. And I think I need to shift. And I get why my friend is calling me out like that. And the first time I actually applied a sense of understanding, like what really meant what mattered to me and and having a a strategy that reflected who I am is, you know, when I met Abby and we ended up getting married and we just celebrated our 14th year of, of marriage and, what things are not perfect. I have such incredible trust, right, with her. We are so aligned on what's what matters to us that it removes a lot of stuff that I think a lot of couples fight about. And there's a lot of ways in which we are very different, but because the core things are aligned, right? It, it, I think the ways in which we are different really balances each of us out in, in ways that are really great. So all that to say, I went and spoke to my grandpa, told him that we were getting engaged, asked if he'd be my best man. He said, I'd love to be your best man and, and you're my best friend. And a few days after that, he developed a pneumonia, and he went, went, fell into a coma. A few days after that, um, and I got a chance to be in the room with him as he, as he took his last breath. He was surrounded by family, and we were praying around him. Uh, but I, at that point, I, I really realized I need to dive into like what made my grandpa who he was. Why, why was why did I always feel so secure around him? You know, I actually described him as true north uh, for our family. That if any of us ever felt. A lost, or we felt alone, that we could look to his example and and feel secure and find our way in in those kind of unchallenged those challenging times. And so I realized you can't really resolve a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of things that I'm just never going to have answers for. But if I have not anchored down to a few things that I can say are absolutely true for me, then I'm just blowing in the wind. Right? Essentially, I'm operating with moral relativism. I'm just kind of going, you know, from one. I I, I think maybe you've heard me say the difference between true north and magnetic north. Are you yeah, familiar say, with yeah, the difference say between it for OCO? everybody.
0: I think it's so great.
1: So only really figured this out recently. So uh, uh, but uh, true north is a fixed uh, location, right? It remains the same. It's it's always in the same place. So there's a sense of if I head to true north, right? I, n- I know exactly where I'm going. Uh, magnetic north is uh, basically always reading the environment. And so true north magnetic north very rarely line up. I think they did 15, 20 years ago, and it was the first time in over 100 years. And and while I'm sure Magnetic North is relatively reliable, I think most people live their life with a similar sense of they go from environment to environment, and Mm. they're reading, right? They're adapting to that that environment, and they're deciding on how they behave and what they value dependent upon the groups they're with. And Mm. man, I've seen that really lead to some terrible decisions. Um, I remember reading Benjamin Hardy's book, uh, Willpower Doesn't Work, And he talked about a guy who was happily married, but he played video games with a friend that was single, I think once a week. And that friend would just constantly make jokes about the old ball and chain and do things. Not that this guy didn't have responsibility for the choices that he made, right? But as he put himself in environments and he didn't stop those jokes, right? He didn't say, hey, I love my wife and she is the rock and pillar and I'm committed to her. You know, he he was silent. He didn't, you know, in that moment, remember who he was and remember who God was. So he allowed that joke to persist. And it eroded. He started to complain about his wife more. He started to mm-hmm. see her as a ball and chain, as an nag. And sure enough, he became more and more dissatisfied with marriage. And they eventually got divorced. And so I think it's, it's really important that the environments you're surrounding yourself in, that they align with what matters to you, right? And
0: yeah. The
1: more that we are silent, when people are saying things that are clearly untrue, doesn't mean we need to shame them or judge them. But we need to stay anchored, right? That, hey, I know these things to be absolutely true. And they don't shift. They stay the same, yeah, damn
0: man, so good and i I love that you know that was your grandfather shaping that in you, which then drove, I mean, obviously I I think it's this, uh, you explained this pattern, right? Like you had to hit your own bottom. I don't think anything, you know, as great as your grandfather was to you, he would have never said anything to you that would have made you change until you kind of hit your own bottom. We all have to come to some sort of realization, which is always so hard when we see successful guys that we know are struggling, but they're never going to change because it's too good. So I think like, you, you know, that happened for you, obviously, then your grandfather was there. And then now here you are, you know, leading again, by example, to be that to other people, first and foremost, your wife and your kids, um, you know, e- even this idea of environment, it's so interesting, because, you know, I I, I was um not a Christian. When I got married, I deeply loved and cared about my wife. She was my best friend, but I just didn't have the values. And we started to struggle and I came to faith and started to realize like how much I needed to change my life. And that's been a process now for the last 16 years to have that happen. But just even as of recently, I was out playing golf with a, a colleague and, um, And he mentioned something about how hot the cart girl was, uh, but she wasn't dressed that way that day. And if I could just see her the way she normally dresses, I would see how hot she was. And in years past, I would have just laughed that off because it's like, we don't see eye to eye. You're a different person than me and whatever. But I've started to adopt this idea that like, no, 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 I need people to know, even though you know. Like he knows who I am. He knows me well enough, but I I had to say it. And so I said to him right out, I said, Nope. I said, I wouldn't have even looked. And he's like, what? Like literally what? And I said, dude, I'm happily married. I don't need to be distracting myself with something that I know is going to end up leading me in a bad, down a bad path. And he's like, come on, you know, it's just window shopping, which is something, you know, kind of guys always say. And I said, I have no interest in that because it's going to cause me to go to a bad place. And like, So I love that you said that. Like, I think that again, like if you want to stand for things, if, if you know, you say you're true North, I say like this idea of being authentic is to be of known origin. Like I know where you come from. I know who you are. Like, if you want to be that, then you need to be that in all places. And again, for guys, especially it's too easy for us to kind of brush off, to laugh off, to joke off the inappropriate talk about our wife looking at other women, uh, even the jokes, which I get into them still too. Sometimes like all of those things, like you said, environment, environment, environment. And I don't think that we're doing enough to protect the environments that we're in or protect ourselves from the environments yeah. that we're in. So dude, that. I mean, that's just like, that's gold. Um, this has been so crazy because I mean, we have just been down this one line, which I know, Andy, again, for you, like this is all the work that you do, but I think it is so helpful for people to hear what value, not even value, the absolute necessity to know who you are. And I liked what you said too, and I don't don't normally do this, but I I would love to hear as we kind of close down here. So you talked about a couple of times a strategy. And so that's pretty foreign to people because like, again, organizationally, whether I've owned it or worked for it, I've gone through the mission, vision, values exercise. I kind of have this strategy around how to do that process, how to define my terms, and then how to kind of march forward through that for a person, it's like, well, what do I do? So maybe just, uh, kind of briefly, you could help paint for somebody that's listening right now and says like, okay, I need to kind of figure out what's most important to me and what I do with it. So what, what is that kind of like? It's not simple, but simple strategy that you can give them to start taking those
1: steps. Yeah. You you know, what we do is, is cause there is no one size fits all, right? Like Mm -hmm. just Everybody needs to do the exact same thing. There's frameworks, right? That if you go through the framework and you answer the questions in a way that's unique to who you are, right? It will outline then, I think, how to live out a a self-strategy. I think part of having uh, how to crush self-uncertainty, right, which is essentially a way of saying I don't really have a a secure, strong, coherent sense of identity uh, is to know what gives your life value and meaning, right? Know what matters most to you, understanding what your strengths are, uh, knowing uh, really what motivates you to do and kind of be your best and and, and understanding what types of decisions and commitments you, you're really pre-committed to right I think if people are expecting in life that they're going to find their best possible response to very challenging you know sometimes nuanced uh, uh, difficult moments when they're flooded with all kinds of emotions and neurochemicals right and there's insecurities coming up and old habitual kind of ways of responding uh, good luck Um, You know, I I love that one of the things that pilots do uh, so that when the planes, you know, have a malfunction, I think commercial pilots, right, and they have to, to respond in real time when their adrenaline is absolutely surging. Is, is that they've gone through a checklist in advance, right? If this happens and this is what we're going to do. And so, and they go through with the co-pilot. So they're both on the same board. They're both supporting each other. And so they predetermine how they're going to respond to really difficult crisis m- moments. And they found that that's greatly cut back on the number of tragic accidents that happens, right? I love helping, you know, the, the guys that I work with essentially do their version of that, where they've predetermined and pre-committed this is the man who I'm committing to be, right? This is as a husband, this is my identity statement, right? This is my purpose. This is the impact I want to have on my kids, uh, you know, in, in the work I do. And there should be a lot of consistency now. How how it relates specifically to the work I do versus at home, right? That there's, certainly there's some differences in that, mm-hmm. but my values don't change, right? They remain the same wherever I'm at. So I think having that level again of, of certainty that I know these things consistently bring me true north, I think is, is super important. Uh, there was one other thing. I'll, I'll say this really quickly. The three biggest mistakes that I tend to see men make uh, that I think stop them from having the fulfillment and success that I think they're capable of. And I, I use a metaphor of rowing a boat, right? The, the first mistake is that men haven't declared with real clarity the direction they're heading in. And so a lot of times, you know, some of that moral relativism that where they're heading in one area, right? Maybe where they're going at church on Sundays versus, you know, what they're doing in business versus their social groups versus how they're treating their kids it might all look quite a bit different. And so, you know, they're rowing in different directions with different arms. And if you've ever rowed a boat, you know, that puts you spinning around in circles. So you're putting in a ton of effort. You feel like, man, I'm, I'm working hard, but why am I not getting anywhere, right? I feel really dissatisfied and unfulfilled. When you have a clear sense of direction and you know that it's consistent, right? Again, in all the different areas, if you consistently row, I mean, you'll start getting a lot more traction. You'll get a lot more fulfillment out of the effort you're putting in. Yeah. The second mistake that I tend to see is they go against the flow instead of with the flow of the river, just meaning they end up choosing work that is not a good fit for them, right? Mm. They're they're dreading going to work every day. They they haven't figured out, you know, that they feel like they're stuck with a bunch of obligations in their marriage as opposed to saying this is what lights me up as a husband to show up as the best version of myself for my wife and kids. And so it's it's like there's all this resistance and drag they've created in their day-to-day where their life doesn't feel autonomous and on purpose. When you, when you resolve that, all of a sudden you're going with the flow, you'll get a lot further and you'll find that the enjoyment out of it and the fun you'll have doing it is, is, is so much better. The last one is they haven't defined their strengths. I'm not an expert rower, but I imagine everybody has a particular stroke or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. That's like their best way. It's the best you know use of their body and their muscle, their frame. Uh, but instead they often covet, right? Other people it's like, well, that's mm-hmm. the ideal frame I should be having. And so they pursue trying to do things and strengths that aren't consistent with how God's defined them or made them. Right. But when you start to figure out, no, these are the strengths, these are the things, uh, and God, how God has made me. And when I start to use those to the best of my ability and you put those three things together, it's amazing how all of a sudden you'll start rowing and you start not only rowing with greater sense of, of impact and efficacy but it allows you to kind of look up and enjoy and see who else is rowing in the same direction, right? You can start to choose work that aligns in the same direction You choose people who are going that same direction. And that's where life gets really good.
0: That's great. That's it. Like, just go back and listen to that a few times, make some notes. Uh, You've you got it all right there. <laughs> um Again, if you guys are listening right now, you're going to notice that more often than not, I don't typically highlight other people's businesses because this is more about conversation than anything else. And I want you guys to listen to get the, you know, just to have your own feedback, your own train of thought and to figure out what you want to do from here. But this is an exception because I have so much respect for Andy uh, as a human being, first and foremost, how he carries himself how he is as a husband, as a father, as a follower of Jesus, those things are far more important to me than anything else, but then also how he conducts his business. And so I will make sure to put um, his contact information in the show notes. Um, I know, Andy, is your Facebook profile public, by the way? It is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I know that you do, you're you doing pretty regular uh, lives there where you're talking about a lot of the stuff. So we'll, we'll drop that in there and then you can go to his website awesome. too. It's ag-thrive.com. Uh, we will put that in there as well. Uh, And so that way you can connect with him. If you have thoughts for him, feedback, questions, ideas, he's a smart dude. I'm sure he can help you out. And if for some reason he can't, he'll point you in the direction of somebody that can, Uh, but I just encourage you to do that. But Andy, thank you so much. I just, I value you. I appreciate you. And uh, this was, this was good for me. So even if nobody else gets anything from it, I did and that's all that matters.
1: (laughs) The feeling's mutual. If If I just wrap up, you know, it's funny, one of those things, I think I said this before we went live that in uh, getting to know you and knowing a lot of people, friends that we have in common, right? You you have some some real like gifts, like you, your sincerity is next level, right? I mean, that authenticity. And so it's funny, sometimes I I find myself even, you know, the, the strengths of covering other people's, so I'm like, damn, I, I really appreciate and value all the stuff that you're doing and who you are. And so just God's made you in a really special way. And and I'm honored to, to be your friend and to have this conversation with you.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, that means a lot. It, re- it really, really does. Um, well, guys, that's it. Um, thank you so much for your support. Always. It's so important. We're going to keep pumping episodes like this. I am on a mission to make sure that every man that desires to be the man that God has created him to be can be that man. And so you listen, you you engage, you have conversations with people that are on this podcast. You can reach out to me anytime you want. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Talk to you guys soon. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Authentic Conversations. If you are ready to live the life you've dreamed of, I'm here to help. Head to ryanjamesmiller.com slash podcast to begin your journey. And if this episode impacted you in any way, pay it forward by sharing it with someone you know. I'm Ryan James Miller, and I'll see you next time on Authentic Conversations.